First Peter chapter 5. Let's read together from the Word of God this morning. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. And we're going to re-read the first 11 verses again of the chapter. The first 11 verses. First Peter chapter 5. Follow with me in your Bible. Let's read the Word of God together. Let's remember that the reading of the scriptures is an act of worship just as much as anything else in the service. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1 The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that faileth not away. Likewise, ye younger, <coughs> submit yourselves unto the elder. Yet all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, <coughs> casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 11. And I trust and pray that God will stamp with his own divine approval and blessing this reading of his own inerrant and infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter at chapter 5 and the verse 11. And the text reads as follows. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And my theme for today is living and learning to praise God. Now there's the text. 1 Peter 5 and verse 11. Here's the theme, living and learning to praise God. Now remember, Peter is writing to encourage true believers who are living in the midst of fiery persecution and great opposition. These are tough times to be a Christian. And these Christians needed a, 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 a word of hope and comfort in what appears to be a very difficult, hopeless situation. It's interesting that in verse 8, Peter introduces the subject of the Christian's greatest enemy. Who is the Christian's greatest enemy? And the answer is, of course, the devil. The devil is the real adversary of every true child of God. Now, we've already learned in the past sermon that he's a powerful enemy. He's described here as a roaring lion. And many godly men and women have fallen victim to his wiles and to his devices. You only have to think of men like David and Samson and even Peter himself. 
The devil, of course, is a persistent enemy. There's no let up. He is always seeking an opportunity to bring the child of God down. And, of course, he's a purposeful enemy. The Bible says, whom he may devour. And that's graphic language. It means to swallow us up or, or to gulp us down. And the devil's always seeking to render us useless to the cause of God, to destroy our personal testimony and bring disgrace and dishonor to the name of Christ. Remember the old World War II slogan, know your enemy. And that's, of course, what we need to do in our day and generation. Then in verse 9, there's a call to um, resist the devil. The, the Bible tells us here, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And here's a call to uh, push back the enemy. We are to resist him. We're to resist every attack. We're, we're to plead the blood of Christ. True Christians, of course, are not to make it easy for the devil. We're not to sit down and play with the devil's toys. We're not to sit in the company of the ungodly, nor, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We're, we're, we're not to walk into his trap. We, we need to be thinking rightly. We need to be thinking biblically. If you look at verse 9, we're told how to resist the devil. By being steadfast in the faith. It, of course, is going to cost us to stand fast and firm for the Lord in our day and generation. That's true for the individual Christian. That's true for the church. That, that's true for a denomination. Now, Peter reminds them that even though they suffer persecution and great opposition, that they're not alone in their suffering. If you look again at verse at 9, he, he tells them there, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Notice he's talking here about suffering of true believers the world over. That They're suffering similar things to what these people to whom Peter's writing are suffering. And it's all part and parcel of being a Christian. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. Remember Jesus' words in John 16, 31, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Its sufferings are part and parcel of the true Christian's experience. Now look with me at verse 10. Here's a word of inglorious encouragement for God's people. Yes, look and learn that you've got an adversary. Know who he is and what he's like and what he's doing. Fill your mind with this call to resist the devil. Remember, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Yes, heed the exhortation to be steadfast in the faith. Yes, remember that you have other brethren who are suffering similar to you are suffering. But let this also fill your mind. What does he say in verse 10? But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Remember, this is a proclamation. There's a glorious truth here we've been taught about God. This is one of his titles. It's also a prayer. Peter is praying for the flock. It's also a promise. The God of all grace has every kind of grace for every type of need that we have. All the grace we require resides in the Lord. 
And two weeks ago, I preached a message on this text, the subject of grace introduced. Grace is used 159 times in the Bible, and we, of course, need to define it. We, we need to fill our mind with the meaning. It's unmerited favor. It's um, on. Um, Deserve kindness to the ill-deserving and the hell-deserving. We talked about the source of grace, God. We talked about the supply of grace, that it's all grace. It's multicolored. It's multifaceted. We could think about saving grace, sovereign grace, serving grace, sanctifying grace. We could talk about suffering grace. You Think of that. Grace to help in your times of suffering. We, we close with the thought of the substance of grace. What does it do? The grace of God has called us. The grace of God comforts us. The, 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 the grace of God counsels us. Remember this. Suffering is a certainty. There's such a thing as physical suffering of persecution and opposition. The world is a cold place for the true Christian. There's also bodily suffering, coping with sickness and illness. There's mental suffering. Think of watching and waiting for a loved one to uh, die. Isn't that suffering? Isn't there also mental suffering? Feeling of inadequacy, loneliness, danger, worry and fear. There's financial suffering. How am I going to cope? How am I going to pay the bills? Now suffering can do one of two things. It can make you bitter or it can make you better. And it all depends how you react. It all depends how you handle that by the grace of God. There's a story told of a little boy by George Mueller. Uh, he was offered a ride by a man with a horse and a cart. The little boy had a heavy burden on his back. He got on to the back of the cart and he sat there, but he kept the burden on his back. And George Mueller told the story of the man who was driving the horse and cart stopped and he said to the young boy, um, you can put the burden down. Well, why didn't you when you got into the cart? And the little boy said that he didn't want to stress the horse. And, and you see, whenever we're, we're suffering illness, isn't it so easy to forget that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God hasn't forgotten us, that, that you're one of God's children, and yes, you, you find it hard to cope. Yes, we must humble ourselves before him and take the lonely place. Yes, remember that God loves you and cares for you. Yes, know that you have an enemy. Yes, resist the devil. But, but, but you also have to learn to trust and to praise this God of all grace. And that's why he introduced the subject of verse 11. Verse 11 is really a doxology. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. In your suffering, in your trials, begin to praise God. Not only remember you have an enemy. Not only learn how to resist him. Not only remember the God of all grace, but remember to give praise and thanks to God. Verse 11 is a doxology. It's a song of praise in the heart. Uh, when you're full of weakness, when you feel weak, when you feel you're on the slide and you're in a state of despair, what should you do? You should begin, at least one of the things that you do, is to praise the Lord. And here's a call to every believer. 
Learn and live to praise God in the midst of your trials. Now, there's four things I want to say this morning on verse 11. After that lengthy introduction, but I felt it was important. The reality of offering praise to God. Remember the context. The immediate context is, it's a reference to the God of all grace. He says, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, to him be glory. You see, it's wide enough to draw in the whole doctrine of God. Who is God? What's he like? What's he done? Think of our catechism. Number four, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Does not take in the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe this morning in the doctrine of the Trinity, three and one and one and three. We believe that God is uh, the Father. Uh, we, we believe in God the Son, Jesus Christ. We believe in God the Holy Spirit. Three and one. Not, not three gods, but, but, but three persons in the Godhead. We believe in the doctrine of God as creator and maker. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe in the doctrine of God's sovereignty. God is in absolute sovereign control. He is foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. We believe in the doctrine of God's power. God is all-powerful. Don't we believe in the doctrine of God's goodness? He's too good to do anything bad. The doctrine of God's wisdom. He's too wise to make a mistake. The doctrine of God's holiness. He's too holy to uh, even look upon sin. Uh, and um, he's certainly too holy to overlook sin. And where he finds sin, he, he, he must punish us sin you see when we open our bibles and we begin to read the scriptures the bible introduces us to god as the living and the true god the lord jesus said matthew 12 34 for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh and peter's heart is full peter is pondering this proclamation he's he's, he's thinking of this prayer that he's offering He's thinking about this lovely promise. And his mind is full of this thought. The God of all grace, he hath called us. He comforts us. He's in control. And then he opens his mouth and offers up the words, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, he's overwhelmed. In other words, he's taken up with the living and the true God. What was it that filled him? What overcome his heart and mind? It was the statement, the God of all grace. God is not only a gracious God, and that's a glorious truth, but he's a God full of all grace. He, he is not limited. His grace is like an ocean. It's unending. It's grace for the whole of the Christian life and in every aspect, in every experience, even in suffering, even in trial, even in pain. Therefore, it's unequaled. It's unparalleled. It's unending. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament, Genesis 45. Remember the, the famine in Egypt? The people had no food. And Pharaoh says, go to Joseph. 
Joseph had the keys to the storehouse. But you know, there was even a limit to what Joseph could supply. But there's no limit to God. Doesn't the Bible say, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. There's no limit to God's grace. As the hymn writer says, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Here's the reality of offering praise to God. When you take into your mind the God of the Bible, in all these pictures of him, then you can begin to open your mouth and praise him. For out of the abundance of the heart, what fills your heart and mind? The mouth speaketh. And Peter was overwhelmed with the thought of who God is. Notice, secondly, the reason for offering praise to God. Why praise God? Well, of course, it's commanded in the Bible, praise ye the Lord. And we were singing there, praise him. And, of course, that's a a, a command. And as the um, subject of the grace of God fills your heart and mind, there's a reason to praise him. I, I, I've received grace. I've tasted grace. Remember, it's undeserved, unmerited kindness to the ill-deserving and the hell-deserving. Also think of these words, the glory of God. To him be glory. That's a reference to God's majesty, his royalty, his, his dignity. Do you know what? Believe that It's true to say how little God is really thought of today. Do you think of him as the living and the true God? Do do you think of him as the almighty? Do you think of him as, as Elohim, as El Shaddai? The high and lofty one that does inhabit us eternity. The one who, who is thrice holy. The one who dwells in light unapproachable. The one whom before the seraphims and cherubims cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see, how little God is thought of today. Men want to bring God down to the level of man. The God of the Bible is brought down as a a, a great mate or a good mate or, or, or a buddy. And I want to tell you, it demeans God, not only in our thinking, but in our speech. How many leave God out of the picture? They live as if there's no God. The Bible says, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. And, and that's not just the atheist, but, but, but that goes to the rebellious as well, because the word there is, in Psalm 14, verse 1, are in italics. So, so the thought is, the fool have said in his heart, no God. And of course, that's what, what sin is. When you think of sin, S-I-N, it's sort of God. I'm in charge. I I live my life my way. Not your commands. Not in your terms. Not your law. And of course that goes to the heart of rebellion. And we live in a day when men of course call evil good. And call good evil. And they, they, they want to bring God down to their level. The language of Peter is. That God is the all-glorious God. 
to him be glory. It refers to his majesty, his royalty, his dignity, to, to, to the glory of his being. It can't be surpassed. There's none greater than God. As the Bible says, in the beginning, God. And we pause there. We think of him. We're being introduced to this being called God. And there is a God with whom you have to do. He's your creator and maker. Your very life and breath depends on him. You're a sinner before, but you've got a soul. And, and that's why God planned the plan of redemption to bring sinners to faith in Jesus Christ. Not only think about the grace of God, the glory of God, but think about the greatness of God. He says, and dominion. Now that word dominion refers to his power. and refers to his ability. God has great power. God has strength and ability. God rules. God is on the throne. Remember the psalmist said, The Lord God omnipoteth reigneth. And here's the context. The devil is a powerful enemy. He's persistent. He's, he's purposeful. And we're no match for him in our own strength and power and ability. The devil's a mighty foe. We quake in fear at his attack. But he's not almighty. He is powerful, but he's not all powerful. Only the God of the Bible is almighty. Only the God of the Bible is all powerful. Where's the devil's domain today? It's on the earth. And on the earth, he can attack us, he can abuse us, he can accuse us before the presence of God. But you know, he's no power in heaven. The Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, I was looking it up this morning again in the uh, prayer meeting when we were uh, listening to the other brethren praying and saying amen. The Lord Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The devil's domain is the earth, but he isn't all powerful in heaven. What about the duration of the devil's power? It's limited. It's only for a time, a season. His power and dominion, it's not forever and ever. But, but look at our text, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That, that's eternal. And then the word amen means so shall it be. What about his devices? Whenever the devil attacks God's people, whenever the devil seeks to abuse God's people, do you know that he has to get permission from the Lord himself? Think of Job. Satan was only permitted by the Lord to do certain things to Job, but he was not allowed to take Job's life. He was not allowed to kill him. In other words, the devil was subject to God's sovereign will for Job. So the devil's power is limited. It's limited in its domain. It's limited in its duration. It's limited in its demonstration and devices. God is almighty. All power belongeth unto God. See, nothing takes the Lord by surprise. He's never confused. He doesn't like the ability to work and to act. We should fill our mind with who God is. He's the God of grace. He's the God of glory. He's the all-glorious God. We, we should fill our mind with God's greatness. We should fill our mind with, with God's goodness. Nahum the prophet could say, the Lord is good. You see, this is what God is. Remember the psalmist said, 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And because God is this gracious God, this glorious God, this great God, this good God, he'll not fail us, he'll not forsake us, he'll not forget us. So, So fill your mind with his being. Fill your mind with his attributes. Peter's saying to them, this God of all grace is able to make you perfect. Able to establish you. Able to strengthen you. Able to settle you. I want you to think very quickly of the roots of offering praise to God. Doesn't the Bible say that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth? And Peter here, I believe, is full of the Holy Ghost. He's been led, inspired by the spirit. And he's adding this doxology to the letter. It's not there by accident. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you know that this is scriptural? This is not empty rhetoric. This is not just mere words. This is not just a fleshly experience with no meaning behind them. No no body behind them. I believe it's rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. I believe Peter, being a, a good Jew, would have known his Bible. And um, if I can just read a couple of things to you from the Psalms, it says in Psalm 104 and in the uh, verse um, uh, 31, um, th- these particular words, Psalm 104, uh, verse uh, 31, he says, The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. Uh, again, in Psalm 8 and the, the verse 6, we read, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. It says in Psalm 95, O come, let us worship and kneel. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. It says in Psalm 96, Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. And one final reference that will suffice, but we could turn to many. In Psalm um, 66, and over there in the verse 7, we read, He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. You see, I could link text upon text. Peter's doxology is a scriptural one. He's rehearsing what the Bible says about God. In other words, it's not a new thing. Based on God's revelation of himself, Peter's praise is found in the Bible. It's revealed in the Holy Scriptures. He's rehearsing what the Bible taught about God. So it's a scriptural thing. Notice also it's a sincere thing. Peter's writing out of his own personal experience. He remembers the night that he denied the Lord with those and cursings. He was a failure. He let the Lord down. But you know the amazing thing is this, that the Lord didn't let Peter down. He didn't fail him. He didn't forsake him. He didn't forget him. Think of Luke 22. The Lord Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. 
And after you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Did, did Peter ever forget that? Yes, I feel the Lord. But remember the Lord Jesus said he's praying for me. And the Lord Jesus said when, when I'm restored again to fellowship with him, that, that I can strengthen the brethren. And that's what he's doing. Because he's writing here. In fact, he uses the word strengthen. So, so this is from his heart. He, he, he's got the t-shirt. He, he knows what it is to be failure. And he knows what it is to, to have, have, have said things by way of denying the Lord. And now he's come in light of being restored to offer praise. Notice as well, it's singular. It says, unto him. It's to him. It's, it's focusing on the Lord. He's taken up with the Lord. He's chosen in the Lord. He's called in the Lord. He's, he's been converted. He's known the regenerating power of the Spirit. He's been cleansed by the precious blood. He's been cared for. He, he, he doesn't leave me. He, he keeps me. See, he's taken up with him. In other words, he's preeminent. He, he's prominent as far as my life is concerned. And that is vital. And let me say this in professing Christianity of the 21st century, we could learn from Peter because we live in days when it comes to worship in some so-called churches, anything goes. And when it comes to the style of worship and the words that's used, it all seems to be man-centered. And there's a forgetfulness of having a concern for the glory of God. And there's never a thought, is this what God wants? And is this what God accepts? And there seems to be a free for all today. I said to Sarah Jane this morning in the Bible class, if you think of the five solas, sola scriptura, only the scriptures. Sola gratias, only by grace. Sola fide, only by faith. Sola Christus, sola de gloria. If a, a professing church doesn't defend and doesn't preach upon and live by these five souls, we have to say it's not a true Protestant church. You see, it has to be unto him. Some churches have traditional worship. And then they have modern and contemporary worship. But what about the centrality of Christ? What, what about the Bible? What, what about godly standards? What, what about bringing glory to him? Where's the fear of the Lord? Isn't it absent? You see, loads of worship today is man-centered. It's what pleases men. What, what, what feels good. What, what, what draws and attracts people in. But Peter's none of that. Peter is taken up with him. It's singular and our worship must be scriptural. It must be sincere from the heart. Because God is a spirit and it worship it, must worship it in spirit and in truth. But it's also got to be singular. It has to be to the glory of God alone. And one final thought. We've thought about the reality of praise. Here it is introduced, the subject, in the context of opposition and persecution. We've thought about the reasons for it. We've thought about the roots of it. Now think of the requirement. In the context 
Where does true praise flow from? It flows from a humble heart. In the context, remember it's humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Doesn't the Bible say that God gives grace to the humble? Humble yourselves before the Lord. It also ties into an honest heart and mind because a heart that's humble before the Lord will be honest enough to confess sin. There'll be an honest day to say, I, I'm totally and absolutely dependent on the Lord. There'll be an honesty to say that I am what I am by the grace of God. That there's nothing in me. I'm chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I've been called by the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. I've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. I'm being cared for. I'm at times being carried. I love that little story of the footprints. Looking back in the sand, two sets of footprints that merge into one. And the person asking, Lord, why did you leave me? In the darkest time, in the difficult day. And the Lord answering, my child, I was carrying you. You see, an honest, humble heart throws himself on the grace and the mercy of God. To the Lord our God belongs mercies and forgivenesses, though we have offended him. See, that's the position. That's the place of the true child of God. And that's the requirement that's needed if we're going to offer praise to him. And also there'll be a, a holiness of heart. Prayer and praise go hand in hand. Once we get a revelation that he's the living and the true God. And when we trust ourselves to him as the Lord our God, then we realize we can't worship in a casual way. We can't live in a casual way. We must live in close communion and fellowship with the Lord. And it's all here in the context. I asked this morning, here's the requirement for offering praise. If it's right that we praise the Lord, as he has commanded. If we take these reasons, he's the God of grace, he's a great God, he, he, he is a glorious God, he's a good God, and we think of these roots, it's based in the Bible, it's scriptural that, that we offer praise, and we do it with sincere heart, and we do it with a singular thought to his glory, then what do I need to do that? I've got to humble myself before him. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, save me, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, let me taste your grace. Let, let, let's be honest with God. And let's aspire to live a holy life. The whole of the Christian life is a life of repentance and a life of dependence on the Lord. And oh, if the Lord could bring us to that place, what a difference that would make in our Christian experience. May the Lord bless these few words of this doxology to us today.